Dotnet Rocks episode 824 with guest Scott Ambler. Recorded live Wednesday, November 7th, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here uh, at the Better Software Conference in Orlando. Here we are, towards the end of the first day. We're going to be back tomorrow, and we got the show tonight in Orlando. And you know what I just found out? What? They have a Microsoft pop-up store here, Ooh. five miles from here. Well, I think we're going. They have surfaces in stock. Now, I already ordered one, but... I want another one. <laughs> and uh, I want, yeah, I want it now. Oh, I don't want to wait want it now. We'll until I go home. I love uh, it. And also, we may pick up a Lumia 920 there, too. We'll see. If, if they, they have, have them, I want one. Yep. All right. Roll the music for Better No Framework. All right. What do you got? All right. Well, you know, this is going to seem like a no-brainer, but uh-huh. you, you'd be surprised at how many people listen to Better No Framework. No matter, even if they don't listen to the rest of the show. Right. So there may be some people who still haven't heard about TypeScript. It's true. So go to typescriptlang.org and learn about TypeScript. TypeScript is a language for application-scale JavaScript development. TypeScript is a typed superset of JavaScript that compiles to plain JavaScript. Any browser, any host, any OS, open source. Nice. Anders Halsberg's been up to it again. Yep, and he's amazing, and it's amazing, and people are saying great things. Yep, create classes and interfaces in JavaScript, yep. and it compiles to JavaScript. So the output is completely, completely, completely JavaScript. Was it a conversation we were having over drinks at one of our stops recently where a fellow was saying, this is not about helping existing JavaScript developers. This is about helping... A C sharp developer, developer who's never really dealt with JavaScript and is uncomfortable with a lot of those things. Right. Now they're getting that stuff that makes them comfortable. And it turns out it's really awesome. It's really awesome. That's cool. Thank Good you, one, Anders. Buddy. Yeah. Know it, learn it, love it. Know it, learn it, love it. So who's talking to us, Richard? I grabbed a comment uh, off of show 780, which is the panel discussion we did at DevTeach about the state of development methodology. That was much fun. In honor of our guest, of course. Yeah. And this comes from Jonas Stowski who says, uh, Carlo Richard, on all the shows I've listened to, you've talked about Agile. The same question is brought up in one form or another. Are there hard numbers or studies that shows that Agile is better or more efficient than the waterfall approach? The answers are all the same in one way or another, but they all miss what I believe is a huge point. Which approach do developers feel more comfortable with or prefer to use? As we all know, the happier the developers are, the greater the possibility of having better products. I have yet to find a developer who prefers to work with the waterfall style rather than Agile. By its pure nature, Agile is trying to mimic the most efficient way of programming, which is working on a project as a single developer where the developer can hack the project together. The only difference is that Agile is an organized way of, quote, hacking. We don't care what the developer thinks. You will use waterfall. Yes. Meetings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> In my honest opinion, developers are one of the most important assets, if not the most important of any project. Having them happy can be the difference between a successful or failed project. And that alone is sufficient reasoning of why you should go agile instead of waterfall, regardless of what the hard numbers show one way or the other. Keep up the good work. Scott, do you want to jump in here on this? 
Yeah. I know this is a subject that's hugely important to you. And I, I don't, what do you think of, of Jonas' the short position version. here? Yeah, definitely. So uh, I think Jonas is right. I, off the top of my head, I don't know of any study that's really sort of compared the morale, you know, the morale issues associated with waterfall versus agile versus lean. Right. Um, gut feel tells me that, that, you know, there are, there are definitely, I've done a lot of uh, research in, the, you know, the different success rates and agile is definitely coming out on top mm-hmm. on average. But the, um, so as far as the morale thing, I think in general, I think it's correct. Developers do seem to enjoy and have, uh, be a lot happier doing agile and lean approaches. But, um, that's on average, you know, you know, the answer is always, it depends. Right. Um, there are some people, a lot of people who are very comfortable with this waterfall stuff. Yeah. They're very comfortable with, you know, just tell me what you want me to do. I'll do it. I'll hand off my stuff to the next person. And in the and end, everybody's happy. Don't developers mostly like being productive, getting software built that people actually use. People like to be productive mm-hmm. and some people, and, but it depends on what you define productivity as. Right. If you define productivity as I do whatever it is that I do, you know, I'm phenomenally productive at writing use cases. Yep. So if this is the way I define productivity, then um, you know, as long as I'm writing use cases, I'm a happy person. If suddenly I'm being forced to test or code or do other things, right. then I'm a very unhappy person. Whereas a more agile person is going to be looking at it from the point of view of, you know, producing a better, better software, better solution sure. for the, for the stakeholders. So it depends on your, on your, on your viewpoint. Good one. Well, Jonas, thanks so much for your question. Uh, you've got some input there from Scott. We certainly appreciate it. So I'm going to ship a .NET Rocks mug off to you. I would anyway. I just read your comment, but that's how, that's how we do things. And if you'd like a mug, just write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight provides comprehensive developer training online. They have over 300 hardcore developer training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts and people such as appear on our show. They release 12 to 15 new courses every month and offer a a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access to their vast library, including coverage of iOS, Java, Android, web development, pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack, including extensive Windows 8 coverage. Pluralsight, of course, has coverage of HTML5 and CSS3 development topics. Try them today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. Pluralsight.com. And with that, let me introduce Scott Ambler. Scott works with organizations worldwide to help them improve their software processes. Scott is the founder of the Agile Modeling, Agile Data, Disciplined Agile Delivery, and Enterprise Unified Process Methodologies, and creator of the Agile Scaling Model. He is co-author of 20 books, including Refactoring Databases, Agile Modeling, Agile Database Techniques, the Object Primer 3rd Edition, the Enterprise Unified Process, and the forthcoming Disciplined Agile Delivery. Welcome, Scott. Hi. Thanks for being on the show. It's a My pleasure. pleasure. Hey, great to have you back, actually. Yeah. It's been a few years. And you're the guy who talks about the challenges of scaling up Agile. Yeah. I don't know that we've ever addressed that topic square on. We just presume that Agile is always going to work. Where does it break down? Um, it breaks down around cultural issues, actually. At least my experience has been that whenever an organization seems to run into trouble with Agile, it's from one of a couple things. First of all, they're really hacking and fooling around and not doing Agile, mm-hmm. calling it Agile. So I wouldn't really blame Agile on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, or their culture, their organization culture, the, their skill sets, whatever you want to look at that, um, is really sort of um, motivated towards doing more traditional approaches or or something else. And they just don't get it. They're not living Agile. They're not thinking in an Agile manner. 
Um, and they, they have a tendency to find excuses for why they can't be agile, which is that's one of the reasons why I run the, some of the surveys that I run sure. is I want to gather data on you know, and be able to be in a position to say, well, yes, you know, thank you for sharing your opinion, but other people are, in fact, um, succeeding at scaling agile in all these various situations. And, you know, if they're doing it, maybe you can, too. Right. Are there some pieces of agile that just can't be done without the other piece? Yeah, it's. The, the important thing in Agile is, you know, are you working in a collaborative manner? Are you focused on quality? Um, are you, are you trying to, sh- you know, get better as you go? Are you sharing ideas, sharing your skills with each other and, you know, really become better as a team, as an organization? And all these things sort of fit together and, and you'll get supporting practices of continuous integration and continuous delivery and, um, test driven development or just regression testing or, um, some of the Agile modeling techniques and the Agile data techniques. And, uh, you know, some of the scrum techniques. So they all sort of fit together. And if you start, you know, trying to do just a few things, um, you know, very common, um, anti-pattern, something called water scrum fall, um, Dave, <laughs> water Dave, stone fall, what water scrum fall. Yeah. Oh, water yeah. scrum fall. Got yeah. it. And, uh, Dave West from uh, Forrester group at the time coined that term. And <laughs> his observation was basically these companies are doing these, this big upfront modeling requirements, modeling design modeling stuff then doing scrum for construction and then going and then for transition or deployment they're off in this you know horrendous release process that takes weeks uh, or months yeah and then they're saying well we're not seeing a lot of benefit from, right. from agile well because you're not really doing agile you you should be doing it all the way through the life cycle and it is sort of an all or nothing proposition it, it is that you know you can always you know you can adopt some aspects of agile and get better and tweak your process over time and and this is actually a very healthy message from the lean community that you can start where you are and then you know do small improvements and get there over time um, but there's got to be a tipping point where you know you're sort of waterfallish for a long right. or you know, whatever it is you're doing for a long time and then finally okay you know we really are we really are agile so are there parts of waterfall like there are parts of agile that you you can't do when you're doing any kind of agile, then what big, what are the biggest parts that get in the way? Is it the 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 sort of the holy spec comes first? It's yeah, just the so biggest problem. Yeah, so things that you really do sort of hobble yourself when you have a, a big detailed spec or this expectation to begin the project of we're going to deliver exactly this and it's going to cost exactly this and it's mm-hmm. going to take exactly this long. So you've really constrained your team. Um, with, you know, by sort of forcing a, you know, right. you know, by forcing these requirements on them. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is that our stakeholders are not good at defining the requirements. They, they are sort of good at saying, I think I sort of need this. And, and if we go off and build a little, you know, build a little something, experiment, say, okay, you told me this, this is what I built. What do you think? Well, that's sort of okay, but, right. and so on. So if you take an iterative and incremental approach, um, and very collaborative approach, then you're much, much more likely to build something that actually meets the needs of your stakeholders. So you could still do the spec, but just call it an architecture and stop at the architecture, maybe. Yeah. Well, it's, you need to do some upfront thinking, right? Sure. And, you know, you need to get a little bit of handle on the scope. You need to get a little bit of handle on the architecture, a little bit of a handle on what the overall schedule is going to be. Right. Um, but you want to do it at a high level and you want to be flexible. Right. And be in a position where you can steer the project as you go. And this is much more efficient, much you know, from a cost point of view, from a quality point of view, um, from a, you know, just a you know, delivery, you know, functional delivery point of view. Um, but it requires skill and discipline to pull off, and that's where people get a little bit yeah. scary. Yeah. And you mentioned lean and agile separately. Can you define the difference between the two? Um, can I define the difference? Yes. It's so agile is more 
is around focus on collaborative development, this focus on quality, this focus on um, delivery of a consumable solution or working software, what is going to call that. Lean um, is fo- very focused on quality, on eliminating waste, on um, you know visibility. Uh, Agile is also focused on visibility. So there's great overlap mm-hmm. between the two, which is and which is why they're often commingled. Um, but I can apply. I can, you know, I can be doing a lean, like a traditional lean approach. I can eliminate waste on a traditional project and, uh, you know, build quality and all that sort of stuff. Now it's significantly easier to apply lean in an agile context than sure. most people do. Um, and some people actually use adoption of lean techniques as a bridge to becoming more agile. So it just depends. Yeah, on lean just from. really isn't just about software, in fact. And it lean started, is not, yeah, it's about manufacturing. And, yeah, it started yeah. in, um, actually in GE, GE. if I'm not mistaken, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, but it got popularized in Toyota. Right. I mean, and lean manufacturing is just that same sort of thing of eliminating waste. Yes. We don't think a lot about the waste in software because it's so, it's kind of invisible. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's hard to detect. And, you know, so creating, you know, writing extra software that you don't need is mm-hmm. waste. Wasting um, time. Writing extra, um, creating extra artifacts you didn't need is waste. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, creating double, you know, you know, writing the same code in two places. Yeah. Waste. So, um, you know, wasting time, you know, spending time that you didn't need to spend time or waiting, um, is waste. So, mm-hmm. um, there's a, if you, if you read, uh, uh, Mary Tom Popnick's books on lean, they're, they're very clear about the various sources of waste. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it, it's hard to detect until you've sort of walked through the process of trying to figure it out. Yeah, it's definitely another way of thinking about what, what these problems are that you consider those things wasteful. Oh, yeah, it, it definitely is. And it's, um, one, one of the things that the Popnikes talk about is a uh, technical value stream mapping. It's just, it's basically a form of process modeling. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a- absolutely illuminating sometimes the, um, some things that happen because, uh, it's a great way to sort of tease out where this waste is. And, um, I've gone into organizations where they, you know, they tell you we're very efficient and, um, there'll be these groups that, you know, everybody knows that they're, you know, phenomenally inefficient. Right. Except for the people who are inefficient themselves. And then so walk, <laughs> oh, okay, fine. So tell me about your efficiency. Walk me through your process and here, let me just draw it out. And, oh, hey, you know what? Here's this, let's put timings against this. And, oh, well, let's, you know, let's look, you know, look at all this wait time. Look at this. Let's start doing some uh, ratios here. Oh, you, you're only 20% effective. Yeah. Wow. Maybe there's some room for improvement if you're only 25, if you're only 20% efficient. Mm-hmm. And you can start having really intelligent and, and coherent uh, conversations around this now because it's no longer this political or religious battle, but now it's a, okay, you know, these are the numbers you gave me. Yeah. So here's how it works. Here's your efficiency rating. Let's figure out where we can fix this problem. So we've heard this problem before, which is, you know, the, the, the culture in the, in the, in the, in company has to be an agile culture if, yeah. in order for the agile methodology to work. So, you know, maybe there's a, maybe there's a whole rabbit hole we can go down, uh, of, uh, how do you do that? How do you, how do you transform that company? How can you get everybody uh, in on the idea? Yeah. So, you know, without letting people go. Well, yeah. So some, not, so a couple of harsh observations, um, not everybody is going to make, is going to make the transition. Right. Know? It's like any sort of change. Not everybody's going to make it. Right. Um, but maybe not everybody needs to make it too. Right. So this is a, yeah, also okay, sure. observation too. Um, but, yeah, in the reality is people don't like to be changed. You know, yep. a, lot, a lot of people say, you know, people don't like to change. It's not that they don't like to change. They don't like to be changed. Right. Yes. And there's a significant yeah, yeah. nuance there. So 
leading people through a change effort, um, collaborating, helping them, you know, giving them the tools to recognize, you know, where they, you know, where they have issues, letting them know that they've got options. Right. Um, and, and giving the time and making it safe to experiment. Um, these are always, uh, um, good techniques, educating them. And it, often, like the business doesn't understand some of the some of the decisions that they're making. You know, I insist on having an annual budget, or I insist on having a, a schedule for this project team. Mm-hmm. They don't realize that you know what they think is a risk mitigation technique is actually increasing the risk. Right. And helping them understand and observe the fact that you know forcing us to do these things is really not helping us. And here's better ways of doing things that are much more effective from both for you and for me. Um, those, these are very interesting conversations to have. Sometimes yeah. conversations work out. Sometimes they don't. So it seems like there's, it seems like there isn't too much downside to this kind of change, uh, you know, from a, from a, an employee's perspective, except that they have to go into sort of uncomfortable territory maybe for a while. Usually. So, you know, there, there is a problem, you know, if you start going down and, you know, start making some changes and then it just doesn't work out for you for whatever reason. Right. Um, you know, if you're the person that's labeled as the evil, agile guy, right. um, <laughs> you know, suddenly you guys are looking for employment elsewhere, probably. Yeah, yeah. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik, who want me to tell you all about Team Pulse. Is customer feedback at the heart of your development process? Are you looking for an easy way to integrate that feedback into your Microsoft TFS projects? Well, Telerik offers a simple and cost-effective solution to this problem. It's called the Ideas and Feedback Portal and comes as an extension of Telerik's agile project management tool, TeamPulse. The Ideas and Feedback Portal helps teams engage with external stakeholders like users or clients by capturing their feedback in the form of ideas, bug reports, feature requests, and votes, and allowing for a virtually real-time collaboration with your development team. Feedback collected by the Ideas and Feedback Portal can easily be turned into requirements or bugs and synchronized with your TFS project for you and your team to work on. So from now until the end of June, Telerik offers a 10% discount for .NET Rocks listeners for any purchases of the Ideas and Feedback Portal. For more information, go to telerik.com slash DNR, and don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. When you are finding organizations now where Agile has become a dirty word. I, I have. I was, I was working in a large uh, Canadian bank uh, in the summer, and they insisted that, you know, I was doing some training with them, and they insisted I didn't use the word Agile. So they hired me to come in and do some Agile training, or some Agile modeling training, but I, I wasn't allowed to use the word Agile. And I said, listen, I'll avoid it whenever I can, but, you know, the name of the method is called ag- Agile Modeling, so I'm sorry, but I'm just going right. to use that This term. might come up. Yeah, so this is going to yeah. come up every so often, <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and too bad, so sad for you. And, but yeah, they, but, and, 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 and what the real problem was is that they had a hacker team claiming to be agile and they had this very visible failure. And instead, and because senior management didn't really know about agile, they said, oh, well, yes, this agile stuff is hacking, just like I suspected. It's evil. So we're not going to do this. Old pain. Didn't get over it. Yeah. So is there a particular personality type that you can spot right away that you're going to, you know, you know, they exhibit some, some warning signs that uh, you raise a red flag that you know you're going to have trouble with this person? Yeah. So usually the, the people who think they have one right way of doing things, and right. their way is the best way, um, that's generally problematic because you've got to be very flexible and realize you've got choices and right. make the right choice for your situation. Um, people who are very interested in you know, CYA-type activities where they're, you know, we've got to do all this documentation to make sure we know sure. what's going on. Um, 
And that's actually a good warning sign, too. As soon as they start talking about detailed specifications and stuff like that, yeah, you know, pretty much they really don't get it. So, so do you do you have do you have these conversations? What are those conversations like? Do you have to sort of dumb it down and step through the process of thought that will bring them to the conclusion themselves that I it's do. actually a good idea? I, I, I try to explore where the misunderstandings are, and then start um, start having having conversations like, um, or really, so you, you you know, so you know, this is you know, you believe that we need to do X, um, and how well has that been working out for you? And right. and then usually, you know, because usually there'll be some really weird and strange idea. And it'll be something you just know it's not going to work out. And mm-hmm. then they may or may not have some stories around it. But then we start digging really quickly. You start finding out they're really fooling themselves. You know, this, uh, you know, this detail upfront specification thing, the only reason why it's working for them is because they're cutting half the scope at the end of the project, right? Right. So then, then I have conversations around. So really, you're making these promises uh, of what you're going to deliver. And then somehow it's, 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 it's viable for you to cut half the scope at the end of the project when when you're very clearly late and over budget mm-hmm. and this is success to you. Is this, if I was to go talk to your business stakeholders, would they be telling me the same, same story? Yeah. And so, you know, these are the sorts of conversations you can have. Said, so wouldn't it be better if we did this, this and this and, um, and start giving them options and start talking about trade-offs. Sometimes, sometimes they get it. Sometimes, um, this agile stuff is just so, so threatening to them that, right. um, they just don't want to hear it. Sure. I'd love to hear how you articulate the idea that, a fixed schedule is a risk, not a strength. Yeah, so it's, um, well, it almost always boils down to, um, you know, I'll just start asking them, you know, what are your actual experiences doing this fixed schedule stuff? Sure. And, and, you know, tell me about the last five projects we had a fixed schedule and did you actually hit the dates? Well, no, of course not. Okay, so how much work did you put into putting that schedule together? How many promises did you make? How many status reports did you fill out? How many, you know, how much, how, you know, and then when right. you finally got caught, and when they were ringing over the coals for why you're late, how much fun was that? How much yeah. money did you spend then reworking? And, and said, so right. after all this work that you did, all this overhead, um, and you still didn't make your schedule, it's just, you know, really, do, do you really want to go through that again? Because right. you know, how many times do we have to make this mistake until finally? Wasn't right, that the definition uh, of insanity? Kid, Doing the same is. things, expecting different outcomes? It is, yeah. <laughs> the layman's, ter- layman's definition of insanity, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. just keep on doing it over and over again. It made, and the classic one with the agile stuff is, yes, we want agile, but we're not going to change any of our practices. Yeah. yeah or, or we're just going to add some agile practices in. We're going to keep doing the old stuff. Plus, you know, this really weird continuous integration thing I keep hearing about. We squirt yes. agile on, on the developers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now we're agile. We're good. Yeah. Uh, and what about I mean, continuous integration? Completely an agile practice? Isn't that something that stands on its own? Yeah, it definitely stands on its own. Um, but um, the issue becomes that, you know, for, for continuous integration to make sense, you really do need to be um, working in this continuous manner. You right. Know, you have to be, you know... There's no time to do long planning. Yeah, exactly. It's, well, there's no use in doing long right. in, in doing the long Because you'll be wrong anyway. Yeah, you'll be wrong anyways, yeah. Um, so you're still doing planning in Agile. And arguably, Agile teams actually do more planning than traditional teams. Mm-hmm. It's more in a just-in-time manner. But yeah, continuous integration is a great thing, but it doesn't make a lot of sense on traditional projects, except maybe towards the end of construction when you've actually got some stuff built. Right. Um, so um, you you end up with this you know integrating once a week type thing at the beginning, and then or yeah you know, maybe even waiting a couple months before you start trying to integrate. Um, I, I've seen I've I've heard, I've heard stories of people checking code you know, old old modules out for three months at a time, and then finally wow. you know, doing whatever it is that they're doing, and then finally uh, you know trying to compile and then. 
being surprised when they got like a thousand bugs to deal with. And right. So, wow. you, do you think that the threat of Agile is because it uh, it puts the developers in the driver's seat of the process, and that's sort of threatening to middle managers? It it well, it's thre- it's threatening in some ways. So, um, the fact that we're working very collaboratively can be threatening. But it's also we're iterating back and forth, right? So it's not right. um, it's not just I, I can sit there at my desk and write use cases all day long. It's, right. I might need to do you know fifteen twenty minutes of analysis today, a couple hours of coding, a couple hours of testing and fixing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I need to I need to be able to iterate back and forth between various techniques all day long. Um, right. So I'm, I'm no longer as no longer overly specialized. Right. And so the problem is, is that if you are overly specialized, if your only skill is being an architect or only only a tester or, mm-hmm. or only a programmer, now in the Azure community, saying we need to work more collaboratively. You need to be more flexible mm-hmm. because yes, yeah, so you might be a very good programmer, but you also need to be become a pretty good tester too, and yeah. you know, pretty good designer and all this stuff. So that can be threatening. Um, but then, then on the middle management side of things, um, you've got the issue that you know, however that it is that they became middle management, it was under the old set of rules. Right now, the rules are changing, and you know, we have different set of skills. Mm. We don't need as much. You know, we still we're still doing management, but we don't need as much management. Mm-hmm. Right, um, we need more leadership and facilitation, not being told what to do. So that can be, you know, that can be challenging. And well, yeah, in, t- in terms of challenging to the point of we're going to have to let you go. Like, yeah, we don't yeah, need so, you, you know, right? Yeah, we don't, you know, our, you know, our deliverables are changing. We're, de- we're delivering a potentially consumable solution um, right. on a regular basis. We're not just creating documents and running reviews and right. making big promises and stuff like that. So um, this can be very different for people who want to see certain, certain types of artifacts at certain points in time. Because mm. yeah, that's how they measure their answered. productivity. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then it, all this overhead of you know, keeping the Gantt chart up to date and stuff yeah. like that, um, that's going away now. Right. So, right. Um, this is a, this is a, a bit of a problem for yeah. people who define their jobs as, in this. Well, you get into a model there where folks are literally like shipping the software would be the worst thing that could happen. I don't have any more documents to make it that far. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Why would I do that? Yeah. This is no good. Right. You know, we need to analyze more, make sure we're building the right thing. And, yeah. uh, it's just a bit of a mess. <laughs> it's pretty incoherent, actually. But yeah. you know, actually creating a practice where shipping early and often is a good idea. You know, yeah, I, I guess it's a whole other way of describing that. It's just like, we're just going to ship software a lot right. and learn from that experience. If you want to call it agile, that's fine. Yeah, but. yeah and, and I think the it's interesting. We're seeing a, a movement more in the industry more towards continuous delivery and mm-hmm, sure. good stuff like that. So. Uh, maybe the the word continuous will re, will, will replace, replace the word agile. agile in the next right. few years. Right. Just, do you like the word DevOps? I do actually. I'm, I um, I'm a big fan of DevOps. I think it's uh, in my opinion, it's, it's about freaking time. Yeah, right. Um, I, I I've been promoting this stuff for years. If you go back to like, the first edition of the Object Primer, I was talking about basic DevOps concepts back then. And saying, if you're not working with your ops and support team um, right now to figure out what the heck it is that they want, you got a serious problem. Yeah. And I've basically been a pariah for a long time for having the nerve to say, yes, we need to respect these production people and mm. we need to have a good understanding of what it's all about. And right. over the last few years, DevOps has just um, really come on strong, which I think is great. Um, the one, uh, some of the issues I'm seeing though in the DevOps community is that a lot of the developers, at least, who still really don't understand operations because they've right. never had to do it, right. um, they're being fooled into thinking DevOps just means continuous delivery and you know, all these you know, nifty new tools that you right. know, make their lives easier. And they don't realize that, well, that yeah, that's important. But you know, understanding how production works, understanding 
the implications of operations and the imp- implications of your infrastructure is absolutely critical. Sure. And um, I'm a firm believer, and I've been promoting this concept for years. Um, I'm a firm believer that all developers should work in, 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 work on a help desk for a while. They should work in operations for a right. while. They should maintain somebody else's code um, for a while to find that, just to understand the realities of some of the stuff that's happening on the back end. Um, and then that will that just increases the maturity um, incredibly. Um, yeah. If you if you got somebody who's only ever banged out code, right? And they've never been on the receiving end of what they're banging out, right? Man, oh man, they generally have no clue about right. the but the, the grief they're causing somebody else, and they're just making a few simple mistakes that like a couple behavior changes by some of these on, on the part of some of these programmers could make a world of difference um, for to everyone know, else. Where where most of the actual expenses. In, in IT organizations. And ultimately the customer. And yeah. and ultimately the customer, yeah. Yeah. The worst thing the customer wants to do is talk to a developer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or, yeah or, it's yeah. the last thing yeah, they yeah, want. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I cringe when I have to call support on anything. It's just, yeah. oh, man, I got to call a help desk. Oh, no. I'm uh, hosed. Yeah, right. I got to book out a whole day and get ready. <laughs> Waste a lot of time. Yeah. Right. Sit on hold, talk to somebody with a strange accent. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, Richard, you know what time it is. Must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's the time in the show when we give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection, which is everything that they do in one box. Nice. And uh, to a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, and today's winner is Granville Schmidt from Chillicothe, Ohio. Wow. Congratulations, Granville. Congratulations, Granville. You are today's winner. Oh, golf clap. Golf clap. I would clap, but I have a microphone in one hand and a tablet in the, the other. other. <laughs> and uh, clapping wouldn't be good. So, we are going to send that off to you. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, sign up for the fan club. We have thousands of members, and we give away a DevCraft Complete Collection every show and whatever else comes our way. And every December, starting this December, next month, we're going to give away $5,000 worth of technology to a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Even that includes previous winners. So previous Everybody daily winners a chance to win. Just still you, get a chance to win. So run some software doesn't mean you don't get to win the $5,000 package. So Scott, i got to ask you a question. If I handed you 5000 bucks and said, go buy toys, what would you buy? Oh, man. Um, oh, I'd probably, I'd definitely be getting one of the, the new Surface uh, yeah. tablets. Uh, they, look, they look really cool. RT or Pro? Oh, I, I always max out, so yeah. <laughs> don't even ask that question. Oh, yeah. Duh. Duh. All right, well, now you're in for 1200 bucks. you got yeah. some more money to spend. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, tw- oh, man, another $3,800. Um, good question. I don't know. It's, uh, like got, to, yeah, the problem is I've got most of the toys that I want. So <laughs> this, this just drives my wife nuts because um, I'm brutal to buy. You know, I hate to say it, I would actually have spend the rest of the money on clothes and that's just crazy talk. I know. You know. Our favorite kit right now, which includes the Surface Pro, would be a th- with a 3D printer. One of the new Ma- Maker oh, Ultra yeah. Bots. Okay, Ultra yeah, Bot. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. You okay. in for that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I don't like, have one of those. Yes. That's like twenty five hundred bucks. Yeah. And then I, I thought maybe a good tablet, and not not like a Surface yeah, tablet, yeah, yeah, but like a, like a yeah, Wacom yeah, Draw tablet, yeah, yeah. so you can draw your three D pieces. I got one of those, but there you go. But yes, I, another one would be nice. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Now we've got a kit for making three D objects. Yes, I would make myself a whole bunch of guitar picks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually, you couldn't possibly buy those. No, no, that's crazy talk. That's crazy talk. Uh, yeah, it does feel like 3D printing is coming of age. It's our current favorite package so far, but we're always looking for other ideas. And now yeah, I've given you an idea. Yeah, I know, yes. Your wife's now mad at me. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, I want to jump back to this conversation because you've said a couple of things that I think tie together really well. Part of it was, you know, agile practices means a developer doesn't just develop software all day. Sometimes they're doing some planning. They're interacting with the stakeholders. They're talking through test plans, you know, that, that sort of that movement around. And in the DevOps story, we're seeing more of the same where developers and, and operations folks interacting and seeing the other roles isn't part of this whole thing. If we just get away from the label, right? It really talks about being a well-rounded professional yeah. software builder. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for years, I've been prom- promoting this concept of, of a generalizing specialist, mm-hmm. this T-skilled pe- person with, you know, you know, one or two, one or more specialties, because you've got to be able to be productive at something. Sure. Yeah. But having a pretty good idea of how the rest of this stuff fits together and be willing to pick up more skills. And those people are far more productive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in, in this day and age where all the, we've got all these complexities that we're dealing with. You can't be overly focused on one thing because you've got, you'll have no idea how it all fits together. Mm-hmm. And um, you might be phenomenally good at, at doing whatever it is you're doing, but if it doesn't fit in with everything else, who cares? Yeah. Um, well, and at the same time, it's like that's a natural way to, to avoid obsolescence. You're not totally yeah. specialized so that one day somebody moves your cheese and you're done. Oh, yeah. And you, and you also don't get so hung up on stuff. You're always trying other things and, and touching other things and, and understanding where each of those pieces fits in. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, and this is actually one of the problems with, with being overly specialized. If you choose the wrong specialty, and you're cooked, right? right. Because suddenly, by the time you figure out that you're you're in trouble, you can't find it, you, know, you can't find the next next contract. How are you going to pick up the new skills? If I've got to do a platform shift or a language shift, and, right? Uh, I've just completely blown it on on my previous guess. That's not going to be pleasant. It makes me deeply concerned for anybody who does. It does just want to program all day. Yeah, and just that, that that's not healthy. You know, in terms of actually leading your career. Yeah, well, and, you know, and, and, and it's, it's more. And it's easy to replace. If you're overly specialized, it's pretty easy to outsource that job. Right. Yeah. Make yourself a cog. Yeah. And we'll exactly. find another cog. If I yeah. find you know programmers with people skills and you know understanding human behavior, highly more valuable on a team than yeah. than those who are just a. Uh, sort of introverted and go off in their own corner. Yeah. Especially in Agile, right? I mean, a waterfall developer can sit behind a desk all day and do exactly as they're told and more of a coder than a programmer, a developer, really. But uh, would you say having people skills is uh, definitely a requirement to, to be on an Agile team? Yeah, it's, de- it's, it's definitely critical. You know, um, you've got to be able to collaborate, be able to communicate with others. And, and the vast majority of people have these skills. Like there's yeah. this, this myth of the programmer who has no people skills. And and when, whenever, and, and this is actually used often by the business analysis community to justify right. their work. Right, okay. And, okay, that's cute. But at the end of the day, like these people who supposedly have no communication skills whatsoever, they have families. Like somehow they were able to find a spouse right. with no communication skills. And, right, right. and they've had children. <laughs> they have no communication skills. And yet they yeah. can breed somehow. Yeah, right. And how did this happen? They, yeah. Yeah, how is, how's this happening? And, and they can find, they can obtain food and they're, right. they're, they've got friends and, and they hobbies. They can pay their cable bill. Yeah. But apparently as soon as they enter the door of your company, suddenly their IQ goes down and they can't possibly, or yeah. their, their EQ goes down and they can't possibly communicate with anybody. Like, mm. The reality doesn't doesn't match the rhetoric on that one. Well, yeah. it's, you know, now you think to both sides of the coin of some people want to be cogs and some people want yeah. to make people cogs too. Like rather oh. than actually understand the complexities of a role, yeah, oh, you definitely just cast it in a, in a sort of simple stereotype or really prejudicial model. Yeah, yeah. And, oh yeah, because it's easy for you. Yeah, yeah it's easy for you. And and, and like I said, if your if your entire job is based on the fact that you know that you're a cog and everybody else is a cog. 
That's a phenomenally, yeah, like we were saying earlier, that's a phenomenally dangerous position to be yeah, in. Sure, sure is. Because now suddenly I can start picking you off right. by outsourcing all your work. Um, this is not a good thing. It is, you know, not a good long-term proposition for anybody, I think. You know, jumping back onto the DevOps side of things, I'm wondering, you know, we're building so much technology in this space, especially when I look at the cloud technology, it sort of says, how much ops do we even need anymore? You know, is it necessary? How much of this could just be automated? Yeah. I mean, I'm play- and I'm going straight down the prejudicial path for yeah. exactly that reason. Are you talking about web-based software or, or anything, anything software really? Or anything. So, yeah, so, th- so you know, we, we, we've got the hype curve. So, you know, we're, we're still climbing the hype curve on right. cloud and DevOps and, and all that good sort of stuff. Before we hit the valley of disillusionment? Yeah, exactly. Are we going to do the Gartner thing? Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's it's accurate. And the, the, the challenge is, is that there's a lot of systems out there that you're not going to migrate to the cloud, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's a lot of new stuff that is, don't get me wrong, but um, you can see people, you can see organizations running clouds in behind their own firewall just because it does make, you know, some things a lot easier. Right. It's um, really, it's really an architectural pattern. That. Somebody, you know, the cloud just doesn't magically run all on its own. Sure. Right? Somebody's, you know, somebody's keeping an eye on that thing, running it, um, all this sort of stuff. So, and the only reason why it appears magical is because everything's automated, it's, right. it's automated as possible. So, right. um, there's a lot of stuff going on there, but at the end of the day, you know, you, you're not going to see, you know, the Bank of America put all its corporate data into somebody else's cloud. No. Yep. Not That's right. Happen. So there's going to be a lot of, you know, there'll be some classes of apps and, and systems that will run in the cloud and there'll be some that don't. Um, although having said that, you know, the cloud is definitely enabling um, a lot of interesting behaviors for me. Um, you know, I've, I, I'm, you know, sharing, you know, files back and forth more effectively by mm-hmm. using cloud-based stuff. Um, it's a lot easier to, you know, using SaaS-based stuff and cloud-based stuff. It's a heck of a lot easier to, to, to you know, fire up. Um, you know, certain aspects of a business and certain aspects of a of software. So there's uh, there's definitely some benefit there, and you can speed things up um, a lot quicker and experiment a lot quicker, which is great. But um, at the end of the day, there's going to be there's going to be some things that you're just running on your own own boxes in your own way, and um, it is what it is. And I do see IT folks getting the same specialization traps that Dev give you. If all you do is manage Exchange yeah. or add new user accounts or modify indexes in in SQL. You can be replaced pretty easily. Pretty easy, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but there's a bigger skill there about understanding the health of the overall infrastructure and, and knowing where it's going and how it should be growing. Yeah. And, and it's a lot more interesting. Yeah, it's, I yeah. think so. Folks just, you know, some folks just want to stick with the one thing they know and not and not, nothing else. Yeah. And if you're, you know, a few minutes away from retirement, what the heck. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to just keep But they won't career. let the COBOL guys retire. Yeah. Well, today's C Sharp and Java programmers are going to be tomorrow's COBOL programmers. Um, and the interesting thing, I COBOL, I programmed in COBOL years ago. There's some rock and roll software that's developed in COBOL. Sure. And it's still, my understanding is it's still the number one language install base. Mm-hmm. Um, probably will be for most of my life, maybe forever. And, um, yeah, that stuff is not going to go away. And, and there's always been this myth that, you know, we're going to replace all the COBOL in the next couple of years. Yeah, it's not going to happen. No. Um, yeah. People are still writing millions of lines of new COBOL every year. Wow. This stuff is not going away. And like I said, there's some really cool stuff there. And, I can, and there's a lot of prejudice against COBOL. And, you know, I'm a C-sharp programmer. I'm doing this really cool stuff. Well, you know what? Why don't you, you, know, why don't you go work for a bank and do some financial 
you know, financial system development for a couple of years in COBOL and, you know, really see what it's like to develop mission critical mm-hmm. software. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, an order of magnitude more complex and often more interesting than, you know, some of this, you know, interesting web stuff that people right. are doing. So the language does not dictate the quality of the project. No, not at all. And um, and it's just and it's just because of the, the nature of COBOL and, and the way it started out and the way it's been applied, um, there's a lot like I said, there's a lot of really cool stuff written in COBOL. For sure. So Carl. Yeah, Richard. You ever embed Excel into an application? Ugh. You know, that's right up there with sticking ice picks in my ears. Nice. Because your end users have to have the right version of Office and all that stuff. Yeah. And it has that extra layer of dependency. What I want is just a way to take all that Excel goodness and plop it right into my .NET application. Well, you reminded me of Farpoint Spread from the old days. Yeah, 20 years ago I used Farpoint Spread. But now, of course, it's Component1Spread.net. And now, you know, they have this version that's both for ASP.net and for Windows Forms in one package. Nice. Yeah, it's two different controls, obviously, but it's in one package, so... You bought one, you bought the other. Right. Spread.net from Component 1. Smarter components for smarter developers. When we first started talking about DevOps, you brought up uh, there's really just a few things that developers need to know in order to not make the operations guy's life miserable. You know, we didn't really hit that. Yeah, well, let's yeah. hit let's hit those. Yeah. So, what's so your thing, advice for developers? Yeah. So, so things like you know, knowing basic things like what's my release window. Um, I've worked in some organizations where you know there's certain times of the year you can't release. You know, if you're a retailer, you don't release around Christmas, for right. example. No software um, changes after October. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Period. Yeah, Till period. January. Just too risky. Too yeah, risky. It's not worth it. Play. Um, yeah, that's valuable stuff to know. Mm. Um, you know, knowing basic basic things like you know what's the what's the database technology, what's the the messaging system technology. Um, I, I've seen some some agile teams get into real trouble because they they didn't even bother to ask. Um, the, the enterprise architects, what's the underlying technology? And they said, and they, you know, they were a shop that, you know, did, you know, they had their own technology that they preferred. So they built stuff using that technology. And then when they went to go deploy and the operations guy said, um, we don't have any experience in that. We don't want another, you know, um, they were an Oracle shop as the case okay. may be. And this team had developed, you know, in MySQL. Okay. That's nice. But, you know, the ops guys were saying, I don't want to, you know, we don't want a new, a new, new database technology, period. Um, we don't want a new app technology, period. Right. right. So I appreciate you just spent several million dollars in six months of our of our money on this, but that's an interesting prototype. Did that actually happen? Like, oh, is yeah. that lack of communication between uh, so to I, that yeah, extent? That just yeah, seems I a got, little ridiculous. Oh, yeah, oh, completely ridiculous. And uh, I got it was a consulting firm that got brought parachuted in by the business to develop something that the IT people. Uh, huh. Apparently, we're not able to. Do you think deliver. they would know better? Like you those would. are the guys who would ask that question. Well, that was you think they would, and one of the very so when I got brought in to to, to you know settle out the, the so there's like a major fight going on right, mm. rightfully so sure and I got I got brought in to settle it out and I was like literally 15, 20 minutes into the discussion because they were throwing terms around and all their you know acronyms and all that sort of stuff and I said okay well, hold on a second I gotta. I got to draw this out. I'm a visual guy. So I went to the whiteboard. I drew this down, you know, to do the basic, you know, struck, you know, the layered architecture yeah. overview diagram, yeah. right? And I said, so surely you must have this. So yeah, yeah, we, we put that together about a week ago. I said, what? And, and it's like, you should have had this conversation the very first day you hit the ground. Yeah. And you should have find, figured out the basic, you know, infrastructure here. I said, why didn't you do that? Well, we're agile and, uh, you know, okay, fine. Thank you. And they just, <laughs> So we're agile. Didn't so have we a concept. Don't need of, to communicate. They only needed to talk to the business customer. They didn't need. They ah. didn't understand. They need to talk to the ops and support people. 
And so at the end of the day, yeah, it's, uh, they spent many millions of dollars on a prototype. Right. Now we can rewrite it in the infrastructure now, that we can support. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is something I've been preaching for years, right? Like at the very beginning of a project, you've got to do a basic, um, you know, viability assessment of, you know, can we build it? If we build it, can we operate it? Mm-hmm. You know, is it economically viable? And, you know, all I can say is it politically viable? Right. Um, all I can say, and, and if the answers aren't positive to all four of those issues, don't even bother. Yeah. And, right. and these you've got guys to solve them all. Yeah, you got to solve them all. And these guys didn't even think to do operational viability. Wow. Not a concept. Wow. Well, it's not their problem. They don't know to run the software. It was, well, no. They, they were told by the business, right? The business gave them the marching orders, cut a check. The business were phenomenally happy with them. Mm-hmm. And this is, and the operations people were phenomenally unhappy with them. Right. That's where all the fighting was, sure. all, was all about. And uh, the operations guy won, right? You know, it's, it was too, too risky to bring this new technology in. Um, in wow. any sort of short time frame. Well, it all, it, you, know, you argue with the risk piece, but it's the cost. You, yeah. you, I need to hire a bunch of people and train them in this new technology stack. And keep provi- them around for years. Yeah, and we've got, yeah. they're staying for years. We've got to provision all of this additional equipment because it's not going to run on the existing yeah. equipment. Like, oh, yeah, and can you attract, you know, can you, can you attract these people and keep them busy? And, you know, th- these are all important, you know, important issues that just were never... Do you prosecute that on the perspective of cost? Like you actually run it down to this is how much it will cost to actually deploy and operate this thing. I do. I I I am a firm believer in talking about things like total cost of ownership, total yep. value of ownership, and looking at the big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because usually, because usually you can win cost battles. Um, it's because you, you you can get it down to you know number you know dollars and cents. He with um, the biggest spreadsheet wins. Sometimes, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, and 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 what will happen, and then at, at least you're having arguments around. Well, okay, you know, and, and if the decision still is, let's put the stuff into production. Okay, great, but at least we considered it, yeah, and we understand the implications of what we're doing. And um, in, in this case, they they had no understanding of the implications, right? And mm-hmm. um, and and the, and the really sad thing is that. It would have just been a you know a one hour conversation with the right people a year earlier, a year yeah, earlier, because there's nothing that would nothing that their existing infrastructure couldn't do for the new application. It was there. Oh yeah, yeah, and and what they built was great. You know, it, it was a it was a shame, but um, they'd done a good job, except mm-hmm. just wasn't deployable. Um, that's know, minor, aston- that's minor trivial issue. Yeah, is that? I mean, we're not even thinking at that level when we think about DevOps. We're thinking about how do I iterate rapidly to see how people are using the app and push that back into the next development cycle. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and I mean, yeah. So, and, and if they'd been doing stuff like that, um, well, first of all, they wouldn't have been able to deploy, and they could have burned. You know, they could have you know failed really early on that one. Um, but yeah, so so you know, so those are you know, those are some of the issues. Things like you know, knowing how the operations people need your need your software instrumented. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, what's the existing infrastructure to do that? Um, just basic things like that. And, and you'll often find, you know, a lot of developers haven't even thought about ins- instrumenting their software. Right. Well, my, my business stakeholder never talked about it, so I don't have to do it. So, no, really. Um, your operations people are very important stakeholders. Let's find out what they, what they know, you know, what, what can make their life easier. Um, because if you make their life easier, it's going to make your life easier. Um, when you're deploying and, you know, when you're getting feedback from them, when it's up and running. The software is going to live longer. But, you know, you hit that yeah. key point there, which is operations is a stakeholder too. Oh, yeah. You need to be part yeah. of that first conversation, really. Yeah. And, the, and, and same way, you know, if you distinguish between operations people and support people, your support people or your help desk people are, are also important stakeholders too. Sure. Um, because, you know, they've got to be up to speed on whatever it is you're releasing. Um, they've got to be able to simulate production problems, stuff like that. So there's a lot of aspects of, of production or operations um, that developers are often unaware of mm-hmm. until they have some bad experiences. So 
with the folks that you're working with, what does the tool chain look like to involve all those people and, and collect that information well? Like you talk about operations instrumentation. Is there particular things you like? Um, it always depends. So because I'm consulting, I'm, you know, I'm back consulting again. I used to work for another vendor. Mm-hmm. And so obviously my preferences when I was working for that other vendor was, you know, their software. Um, but, you know, the reality is, it, it, you know, the operations departments will already have the stuff up and running. So, right. Um, so then my preference becomes, okay, fine. What are you using? What are you using? Yeah, is, yeah. is basically the the issue. But in general, like you know, the, the the things are. I need to know things like you know, do they have a deployment framework in place that I can use to get my stuff out the door? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, do they have a reporting framework in place so that way I can find out how the existing system is up and running right now in production? Right. And so not only are they getting whatever metrics they're interested in, because you know they're interested in reliability and performance and mm-hmm. stuff, but I should be interested in that too because you know. If, Things go bad in production. Um, I'm going to at least hear about it. Sure, if not have to fix it right away. Also, talking about mitigating the cost of development. If there's already a reporting infrastructure in place, there's a bunch of work you don't have to do. Oh yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, and so finding out, you know, finding out the fact that they're, you know, what they're, you know, what you know, database technology they prefer, what app servers they've got, and mm-hmm. you know, what's the underlying infrastructure that I can leverage. What, you know, what, 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 what web services are in place. What can't you use? Maybe. Yeah, and what can it? Yeah, what yeah. should it be staying? Yeah, like what are what are they about to take out and shoot? Yeah, um, you know, so. Uh, so these are all important conversations to have. And so the more I can understand that, then the less plumbing I need to do, the less the less overheadish type of stuff I can do, and I can actually focus on adding real new value. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, this uh, you know, this is a great thing from just from a developer point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, just you know, making you know less work for me. Hey. That's great. You like that? I like that. Yes. Yeah. Taking work off the table it just means getting all the right people around the table in the first place. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and just and, and just and basic things like you know. Uh, make, you know, make, you know, just basic planning to make sure that they know that we've got major releases or that, you know, we're mm-hmm. releasing weekly or daily or mm-hmm. you know, whatever it ends up being. Um, just making sure everybody's in sync. Everybody knows what the heck it is that they need to do. Um, absolutely critical. So, uh, business stakeholder, developer, operations guys, help desk guys. Mm-hmm. Who else needs to be at that tape, that first meeting? Um, if I'm in, in an audit situation, I want to have my, my you know, internal auditor. Uh, you know, kicking around to find out what you know what the heck they're going to be looking for, right? right. Um, what they need to be able to audit. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, what um, enterprise architects, mm-hmm. um, the financial people. What you know? What are their expectations for? Um, you know how they're going to fund the project mm-hmm. and and how I need to report back status and things like that. Sure. Um, the the well, end end users obviously or potential end users. Mm-hmm. Um, their management, my management. There's a lot of stakeholders that I need to at least. Um, figure out what their main goals are, what their issues are, mm-hmm. um, you know, what their pain points are, um, and, and once I'm in that position, and then be, and know how I need to communicate with them mm-hmm. to sure. um, keep them happy throughout throughout the project. Yeah. Um, Wait, and does security get caught in that somewhere? Is that oh, yeah, enterprise yeah, architect yeah, role, yeah, or is that a specialized point. role? Um, depends on the organization. But sure. yeah, I definitely want to be talking to security people. Um, security is a classic example. Things get overlooked. Um, usability. Yeah. Classic example. Right. Um, just we're getting to the point where that's a pretty big meeting. That's yeah. a lot of people. It is, yeah, and it's you know this is a separate conversation sometimes. Mm-hmm. But um, if you don't if you don't talk with these people up front, then you're gonna you get know, them late. You're gonna get them later. You're gonna be talking with them at some point. And right. The later, sure. The later, almost always the worse it is. So, the anybody in, influential over the life cycle of that app? Basically, the whole yeah. life cycle, and you got to include the whole life cycle. And the whole life cycle, yeah. This is like you know, cradle to grave, right? And if yeah. You, if you look at the the, life, the true life cycle of an application, 
Um, well, first of all, sometimes, you know, the apps just keep going. There's many, many systems that have been in place mm-hmm. for decades, right? Mm-hmm. Um, through many releases, um, some systems get retired eventually. So there's a, a wide range of stakeholders, a very robust overall true life cycle for, uh, for a system or a solution mm-hmm. that um, we need to appreciate. And, and retirement, you know, retirement of a system, if, you know, if, you, if, you, if you've ever done a project, where you've had to take something, truly take something out of production. Yeah, it can be brutal. Um, just you know, just removing old, getting rid of old machines and old technology and old software, and actually getting getting rid of all the old DLLs and stuff. Yeah, like right. That, sure, you know? sure. All hell. Um, is there any easier said than done? Sometimes. Is there any considerations we need uh, if we're developing a lot of small apps versus one big app? Um. Well, the bigger the bigger the deployment, like the bigger the thing that you know, the greater the potential risk. But mm-hmm. um, de- delivering a bunch of small things. So if you look at you know, like the app, you know, the, you know the, the app um, approach that a lot of people have. For, right. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking it's that, spe- specifically it's tablets, easier, right? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So so life's easier. So that um, in some some respects, so you can do some very interesting things with apps, um, particularly when the app the front ends something sophisticated on, on you know, somebody's back end. Right. Um, but you know the one challenge with apps that I don't think has been solved really well yet, um, and maybe and I, I expect cloud some sort of cloud based solution to be there um, is the how are we how are we integrating the apps? How are we getting to share um, information and data and all that sort of stuff? And that I think is easier said than done right now. So we're still seeing like you know so we're at this um, point in the overall app you know ecosystem where most of these apps are standalone. Mm-hmm. You know you click on it, you bring it up, you do something. And you, you, you shut it down type of thing. So right. all these standalone apps, like, you know, this is like 1970s mainframe world now. Yeah. <laughs> and um, eventually at some point, people are going to start talking about how do we do app integration, like real yeah. app integration. Well, we have um, a wonderful story for that on Windows 8, don't oh, we? Cool. The, with the share contract. Yeah. Uh, it's a contract that we can implement and share with the operating system with other apps. Uh, and it's just sort of baked in. We get that for free. So that's good. And, you know, and this is specifically what I was thinking is that uh, it seems like the architecture for Windows Store apps is going that way, that you're taking what used to be this monolithic app, you know, with a million menu options and trees and tabs and screens and sort of decomposing it into smaller sections yeah. and, you know, getting store versions of those things. Yeah. So, And, and, and then I think there's some opportunity there. It's going to be easier said than done because as soon as you start having to share data between these little apps, Suddenly, semantics comes into play, and, yeah. and how do you how do you evolve the data scheme or you know whatever the storage right. scheme is? Um, it's going to have to evolve over time. So some yeah. very hard problems start to pop up really quickly, and uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see the, the next you know five years. Will be a challenge. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, I think you know in a time in a five year time frame, I think we'll see the the app paradigm evolve dramatically to something a a little more a little more robust. Yeah. But we'll have to see where it goes. Yeah, it strikes me that we built monolithic apps because the deploying apps were so painful. We did as little as possible. Yeah, it is that's yeah. true, okay. Richard. Yeah. Suddenly, now that we've really come up with better deployment strategies, it's easier to deploy lots of little apps. I think so. Yeah, and they're a hell of a lot easier to maintain and manage, and your teams can be smaller, and the you know the stakeholders can get involved more easily. It just mm-hmm. you know, yeah. we fixed the underlying problem, which was deployment. Really. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. The infrastructure has gotten a lot better as yeah. a result, and, and our techniques and our our view of the universe has improved as well. So I think there's uh, a lot of good stuff to be said for sure. You know, where we're heading. All right. And with that, I'd like to thank you again, Scott Ambler. Oh, my pleasure. 
It's been great to talk to you again. Oh, fantastic. Good to talk to you guys. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Hey, thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 minutes of free video training by guests on .NET Rocks and other experts in the field. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 